Welcome to the Christian Combatives Monday Megasode. The purpose of these Megasodes is to mirror all of the YouTube and Rumble content up on the podcast. All the audio is preserved and presented here in its original and sometimes substandard form as it appeared in the video from start to finish, music included. The titles of these videos are listed in the podcast description. Today's episode includes Atheist Meme Grab Bag Number 1, Atheist Meme Review Number 1, Based Pastor Destroys Cringe Atheists Online, Chad Pastor Destroys Lame Atheist Arguments, and Child Sacrifice. Enjoy! Ah, the internet. A place where modern man's wisdom and brilliance is collected in one convenient, easy-to-access location. I'm sure I'll find plenty of well-thought-out and insightful arguments as I peruse. Let's get into it. get started with our first submission from that repository of brilliance known as the internet. It says this, I'm gay, I'm also a Christian, and I believe in God and heaven, but I don't believe I'm going to hell for who I love. Well, believing in something doesn't change reality. You can believe something that's completely false. What is true remains the same. That being said, even the devil believes in God and in heaven. But that doesn't make him a Christian. He doesn't trust in Christ and the teachings of Christ, the teachings of God, all throughout the Bible. You are right that you're not going to hell for who you love. If you are going to hell, it's because you have sin that has not been forgiven. So, repent of your sin. Believe. Put your trust in Christ. Be baptized and have your sin washed away so you are born again and you'll be saved. Next. This next one is about Noah's Ark, so you know it's going to be good. Not feeling very bright? Smile, and remember, there are grown adults who actually believe that two penguins walked all the way from Antarctica to the Middle East to get into an ark. First of all, you believe that birds are real? Which one of us is really living in a fantasy, huh? But for realsies, there are so many problematic assumptions behind your meme that it just doesn't hold together. The first one is that you assume that the continents are in the same place now that they were before the Flood. That a worldwide cataclysm wouldn't at all affect where the, where the continents are positioned. Second, you believe that penguins existed and lived in Antarctica before the Flood. Now, even today, penguins exist other places in Antarctica. For example, penguins live in Africa. Did you know that? But you assume that they had to have lived and exclusively lived in Antarctica, which existed in the exact same separation from the Middle East as it does today. There's a lot of assumptions. Now, ultimately, your final silly assumption is that this miracle that God performed, where he brought all the animals from all over the world and he brought them to a singular place, that a miracle had to follow the laws of nature. Your proof that a miracle didn't exist was that it didn't follow the laws of nature. Now, if only, if only there was some, there was a thing, there was like a name of a thing, of an event that 
It defied the laws of nature and was kind of a, a, a sign of some sort that the person performing the action or, or causing the event was above the laws of nature, was in control of the laws of nature. If only there was a word that described such a phenomenon. If Oh, yeah, it's called a miracle. You described a miracle. Congratulations. Next. Religion will eventually become as offensive and unacceptable as racism. Chris O'Dowell, whoever that is. Here's what 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 say. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. To the world, Christianity has always been more offensive and more unacceptable than racism. Racism is a sin, and it has existed in many cultures and many civilizations around the world. Christianity, on the other hand, is always offensive to everyone who prefers their sin. Next. Oh my. Oh boy. When you ask your friends if they're going to church but they're already worshiping, Ricky, I told you this was going to happen. I literally said this was going to happen. You wanted the Church of Donald Trump of Latter-day Saints? Well, now you've got it. Congratulations. You really think it's such a good idea to repeal the Johnson Amendment? This is what you get. This is your fault, Ricky. Are you happy, Ricky? Next. Shells and Emotions writes, My favorite Bible story is when instead of telling women to dress modestly, Jesus tells his dudes to avoid lust by plucking their eyes out. Actually, God does both. Here's what 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Now, the eye gouging is hyperbole, but it does demonstrate an important point, that it's not worth going to hell to preserve all of your sensory organs. Don't look at people with lust. God is very clear about this. But at the same time, God expects you to dress modestly. Now, this isn't just for women. This is for men and women. You are to love your neighbor and help to protect them. You are to act and dress in such a way that it doesn't cause your weaker brother or sister to stumble and fall into sin and into temptation. Help them to avoid temptation. Love your neighbor. And at the same time, don't lust. Don't lust. Dress modestly. Act modestly. This is a good thing. Next. The Anime Atheist, 11 videos. I became an atheist because I have learned from anime. Well, more proof that anime is a sin. Next. Passover, because lamb's blood helps God kill the right kids. Now imagine instead of saying Passover, it said vaccine. The silliness of this argument is that it assumes that the default state of the sinner is eternal life. And so it maligns the cure for death, rather than lamenting those who refuse a free gift of salvation from it. Now, am I talking about Passover or the crucifixion?
Yes. Yes, I am. Well, this is going well so far. Me, hits joint. If money is the root of all evil, then why do they ask for it in church? Inquisitive smiley face. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Bible verses tend to make more sense if you actually read them. Now, it is possible to make an idol out of money. It is possible to make an idol out of getting money. But money itself is not evil. Money is a gift from God, and this gift can be used for good or abused for evil. Let me give you some examples. If you have a church, they can use their money for good by paying their electrical bill, by paying their employer, employees, or by paying their staff. And if you wanted an example of somebody using money for evil, you could have a prosperity preacher who asks you to send in seed money and seed donations, when really he's just using it to buy himself another yacht, plane, or Rolex. Next. Ooh, this one's got a kitty in it, so I know it's going to be good. Your inability to understand basic science does not mean God did it. Thank you, kitty cat. Your inability to understand basic philosophy does not mean God not real. I hope you all had as much fun as I did. the internet, a place where modern man's wisdom and brilliance is collected in one convenient, easy-to-access location. I'm sure I'll find plenty of well-thought-out and insightful arguments as I peruse. Let's get into it. Let's get started with our first submission from that repository of brilliance known as the Internet. It says this, I'm gay, I'm also a Christian, and I believe in God and heaven, but I don't believe I'm going to hell for who I love. Well, believing in something doesn't change reality. You can believe something that's completely false. What is true remains the same. That being said, even the devil believes in God and in heaven. But that doesn't make him a Christian. He doesn't trust in Christ and the teachings of Christ, the teachings of God, all throughout the Bible. You are right that you're not going to hell for who you love. If you are going to hell, it's because you have sin that has not been forgiven. So, repent of your sin. Believe. Put your trust in Christ. Be baptized and have your sin washed away so you are born again and you'll be saved. Next. This next one is about Noah's Ark, so you know it's going to be good. 
not feeling very bright? Smile! And remember, there are grown adults who actually believe that two penguins walked all the way from Antarctica to the Middle East to get into an ark. First of all, you believe that birds are real? Which one of us is really living in a fantasy, huh? But for realsies, there are so many problematic assumptions behind your meme that it just doesn't hold together. The first one is that you assume that the continents are in the same place now that they were before the Flood. That a worldwide cataclysm wouldn't at all affect where the, where the continents are positioned. Second, you believe that penguins existed and lived in Antarctica before the Flood. Now, even today, penguins exist other places in Antarctica. For example, penguins live in Africa. Did you know that? But you assume that they had to have lived and exclusively lived in Antarctica, which existed in the exact same separation from the Middle East as it does today. There's a lot of assumptions. Now, ultimately, your final silly assumption is that this miracle that God performed, where he brought all the animals from all over the world, and he brought them to a singular place, that a miracle had to follow the laws of nature. Your proof that a miracle didn't exist was that it didn't follow the laws of nature. Now, if only, if only there was some, there was a thing, there was like a name of a thing, of an event that, that defied the laws of nature and was kind of a, a, a sign of some sort that the person performing the action or, or causing the event was above the laws of nature, was in control of the laws of nature. If only there was a word that described such a phenomenon. If, oh, yeah, it's called a miracle. You described a miracle. Congratulations. Next. Religion will eventually become as offensive and unacceptable as racism. Chris O'Dowell. Whoever that is. Here's what 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 say. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. To the world, Christianity has always been more offensive and more unacceptable than racism. Racism is a sin, and it has existed in many cultures and many civilizations around the world. Christianity, on the other hand, is always offensive to everyone who prefers their sin. Next. Oh my. Oh boy. When you ask your friends if they're going to church but they're already worshiping. Ricky, I told you this was going to happen. I literally said this was going to happen. You wanted the Church of Donald Trump of Latter-day Saints? Well, now you've got it. Congratulations. You really think it's such a good idea to repeal the Johnson Amendment? This is what you get. This is your fault, Ricky. Are you happy, Ricky? Next. Shells and Emotions writes, My favorite Bible story is when instead of telling women to dress modestly, Jesus tells his dudes to avoid lust by plucking their eyes out. Actually, God does both. Here's what 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. 
Now, the eye gouging is hyperbole, but it does demonstrate an important point, that it's not worth going to hell to preserve all of your sensory organs. Don't look at people with lust. God is very clear about this. But at the same time, God expects you to dress modestly. Now, this isn't just for women. This is for men and women. You are to love your neighbor and help to protect them. You are to act and dress in such a way that it doesn't cause your weaker brother or sister to stumble and fall into sin and into temptation. Help them to avoid temptation. Love your neighbor. And at the same time, don't lust. Don't lust. Dress modestly. Act modestly. This is a good thing. Next. The Anime Atheist, 11 videos. I became an atheist because I have learned from anime. Well, more proof that anime is a sin. Next. Passover. Because lamb's blood helps God kill the right kids. Now imagine instead of saying Passover, it said vaccine. The silliness of this argument is that it assumes that the default state of the sinner is eternal life. And so it maligns the cure for death, rather than lamenting those who refuse a free gift of salvation from it. Now, am I talking about Passover or the crucifixion? Yes. Yes, I am. Well, this is going well so far. Me hits joint. If money is the root of all evil, then why do they ask for it in church? Inquisitive smiley face. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Bible verses tend to make more sense if you actually read them. Now, it is possible to make an idol out of money. It is possible to make an idol out of getting money. But money itself is not evil. Money is a gift from God, and this gift can be used for good or abused for evil. Let me give you some examples. If you have a church, they can use their money for good by paying their electrical bill by paying their employer, employees, or by paying their staff. And if you wanted an example of somebody using money for evil, you could have a prosperity preacher who asks you to send in seed money and seed donations, when really he's just using it to buy himself another yacht, plane, or Rolex. Next. Ooh, this one's got a kitty in it, so I know it's going to be good. Your inability to understand basic science does not mean God did it. Thank you, kitty cat. Your inability to understand basic philosophy does not mean God not real. I hope you all had as much fun as I did. How's it going, my favorite internet people? 
it's time for another episode of that religious online game show that nobody watches. Atheist Meme Review, also known as Base Pastor Destroys Cringe Atheists Online. No survivors. Say it with me now. Let's get into it. Here's a quote from Christopher Hitchens, that intellectual powerhouse. He says, since it is obviously inconceivable that all religions can be right, the most reasonable conclusion is that they are all wrong. Brilliant. What a genius. Perfect. Apparently my boy Chris here has never taken a math test before. Oftentimes on math tests, you have questions that have one correct answer. For example, what is two plus two? If you said four, you would have picked the only correct answer. Now, there are an infinite amount of incorrect answers, but just because there are an infinite amount of incorrect answers doesn't make four any less correct. Jesus says, I am the way. Not I am one of many ways, but I am the way. Islam is not a correct answer, neither is Judaism. Neither is Buddhism, atheism, Baha'i, whatever. Any other choice is incorrect. Jesus is the way. You see, sometimes truth is mutually exclusive. This is a very basic concept, Chris. Come on, you're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> Next. Oh boy, here is a well-researched meme about Christians eating pork. I have never heard this argument before. Christians be like, God bless this pork that you commanded us not to eat. Alright, so God made a covenant with Moses and the Israelites. In this covenant, he required them to abstain from certain foods, practices, and clothing. The covenant was ended with Christ. Under Christ, the Christians are under a new covenant. Christians today exist under the covenant that Christ instituted. So most of the same moral rules exist, such as God's prescription for sex, uh, condemnation of murder, theft, and other things. But as for food, if only there was a Bible verse that told us about that. Oh, wait, here it is in Acts chapter 10, verses 12 through 15, which says, In it there were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again the second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. Would you look at that? We're in our new covenant where we can eat bacon and pork. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Next. Here we go. How Christians think reality works. Um, actually, I have it on good authority from another meme that Christians believe that the earth is flat. So this depiction of the earth is round can't possibly be an accurate depiction of what Christians think. Sorry. Hey, it's my boy Ricky Gervais at it again with some more wisdom. There have been nearly 3,000 gods so far, but only yours actually exists. The others are silly, made-up nonsense, but not yours. Yours is real. Yes. That's what mutual exclusivity means. One thing can be true to the exclusion of all falsehoods. Glad you're catching on there, Ricky. Good job. Gold star for you. Where was God before he allegedly created the heaven and the earth? How does something exist outside of time and space? 
I mean, that's like the whole concept of there being a God. If God existed in time and space, then that means that he's not above time and space. If God created time and space and then interacts with time and space, then that makes perfect sense. And he's still God. But if God is within his own creation, then he is his own creation. You see how this doesn't work if you don't know what you're talking about, right? <laughs> Cologne cosmological argument. Just look it up. You'll you'll figure it out. Well, that was fun. I definitely feel smarter having gone through all of that. <laughs> Why did you do this to me? <laughs> you have a good weekend or whatever. <laughs>
which bothers me because of my desire for all to be saved. In fact, any Christian who isn't bothered by an indicator that somebody is in danger of judgment needs to examine their love for their neighbor. Next. Here's one. God is technically pro-choice. He gave humans free will for a reason. So I don't know what all you pro-lifers are screaming about. If God won't even make my choices, what gives any of you the authority to think that you should? <laughs> yes, from the very beginning, God gave humans the ability to choose. And he expected that they would choose responsibly, given that there are consequences for making the wrong choice. Choice is a freedom, and people abuse that freedom sometimes. Whether it's eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or the choice to kill their unborn children. You see, just because you have the ability to choose doesn't mean that you have the freedom to choose without consequences. Here's the next one. That's the body of Egyptian Pharaoh King Tut over 3,000 years before your so-called Jesus Christ. Yet we can find his remains, body and everything. This picture speaks for itself. My question is, where are the remains of Jesus, Abraham, Jacob, and all those imaginary people listed in the Bible? Where are they? Yes, Christian, where are they? Where is the body of Christ? Why is the tomb empty? Wasn't he crucified? Checkmate, Christians. I got you. <laughs> it's so stupid sometimes. Oh, well, okay. I'm not even gonna... <laughs> well, that's all the memes we had time for today. I hope you feel just as enlightened as I do. <laughs> Take care. Christians have been opposing the killing of children for a very long time. Whether it's Molech or the, the false gods of the Old Testament, or it's the modern day slaughter of children by organizations like Planned Parenthood and others. So why is it that Christians worship a God who tells a guy to kill his only son? Child sacrifice, huh? Let's get into it. So the story of Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah is one of the ones that Christians often struggle to explain, particularly to non-Christians. How is it that this God, who is loving and caring and all-knowing, gracious and merciful, is going to tell Abraham to kill his only son? Well, we learn a bit more about this story from Hebrews. This is an epistle in the New Testament. But just going with the Old Testament, we look into the story and we see that out of the blue, God just says to Abraham, hey, go kill Isaac, go sacrifice him on the mountain. Now, he doesn't say sacrifice him for anybody's sins or anything like that. He doesn't actually say why to sacrifice Isaac. And that kind of begs the question, does God have the authority to either take somebody in and out of this life to bring them back from the dead or to put them to death? Or is God reaching beyond his bounds? Does God have the authority to 
command others to kill uh, and to, to, to end somebody's life. And the reality is that the God who gave you the life and the God who moves you between that life and the next life absolutely has the authority to move you between that life and the next life or to command others to do that um, to do it to do that in obedience to him so this idea of God commanding someone to kill um, even if we don't agree or we don't see why um, this is this is not this is not out of the realm of authority for God God is the, the God of life and as Hebrews says in the New Testament Abraham was willing to do this because he knew that uh, even if he did sacrifice Isaac and Isaac died, God could just bring him back. God had promised Isaac uh, as, as the seed, as the lineage through which Abraham would be made the father of many nations. So Abraham was not worried about the killing of Isaac in the, in the permanent sense. Certainly it was a test. And again, this is what scripture says, that, that it was a test. That God tested Abraham. And this test, the point of the test is to increase faith. To say, well, you know, I, I have to trust in God. Because let's say, let's say on the other hand, Abraham didn't listen to God. Let's say Abraham said, you know what, God? No, I like Isaac and I am not going to, to sacrifice him. Does Abraham then have the authority to prevent God from, from taking Isaac's life in some other way? Ultimately, Abraham trusts God by trusting not only that that it is good and right that he give his son back to God, but also that God made a promise regarding Isaac and he would fulfill that promise. Now, as you know, the story goes forward. Uh, Abraham and Isaac, they approach this mountain, Mount Moriah, um, and they've got some companions with them and they leave him behind with the donkey. And Isaac and Abraham go up on the mountain. Now, Isaac is about mid-20s, we assume, and Abraham was already old even before he had Isaac, so he's even older now. This is an old dude. Um, so Abraham gives the wood to Isaac to carry. Isaac carries the wood of his own sacrifice up the mountain. They go up the mountain. Um, Behold, Abraham, Father, I see the wood and I see the, you know, the fire. But where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says the Lord will provide. Well, they go up on the mountain and, uh, and Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac. Isaac, from all we can tell, he goes willingly onto he goes willingly forward to be sacrificed. He doesn't fight with his father, and he wasn't overpowered by Abraham. He just goes forward, and he's like, he's submissive to the authority of his father and submissive to the authority of God, uh, and he trusts God and he trusts his father Abraham. So he goes forward and he allows himself to be bound, and he goes on the altar to be sacrificed. Abraham's raising his knife to you know to do the sacrifice. He has fire in one hand, and knife in the other hand. And God prevents him from killing Isaac. Uh, and he says, don't kill Isaac. Um, here's a ram over here. So, you know, look behind you, basically. And Abraham sees this ram that's caught in a thicket of thorns. And he sacrifices that instead. Then he names the place the Lord will provide. That's what he calls this place on the mountain. Now, that's the end of the story right there. At least that's, that's what it appears like for at least the next thousand years. But really, there's, a, there's an ellipsis. There's a dot, dot, dot to be continued. And what happens is thousands of years later, that story is continued. Isaac is the son of promise because he's the son promised to, to, to Abraham. He is the only son of Abraham, the only legitimate son. Uh, Abraham has a, has a son, Ishmael, with, with Hagar, but that's not his, his legitimate son. Um, but he's the only son of, only son of the father Abraham, uh, the son of promise to be sacrificed on, on Mount Moriah. 
What happens is in the New Testament is you actually have the fulfillment of the sacrifice. You have this fulfillment that you see in uh, God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. So just like Isaac, Jesus is a, a, a son of miraculous birth. Isaac was born from a barren womb from Sarah and Abraham, who were too old to have children. Their, their, their womb, Sarah's womb, was a barren womb. Likewise, an even more barren womb is the womb of a virgin, because even a lady who's way up there in years still potentially could have a child. Whereas a virgin having a child, that's just impossible. So Mary, Mary, you know, Mary, Mary, mother of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, Mary, she miraculously also has a child, has a son, the only son. Now, Mary and Joseph may have had other sons and daughters later on, but the only son of the father is Jesus. And likewise, Isaac is the only true son of Abraham. All right. So you have a miraculous birth. You have the only son, the son, the only son. Um, and then you have the, uh, you have Mount Moriah. Now, Mount Moriah still exists where it did thousands of years before when, when Abraham and Isaac went up Mount Moriah. But in this case, Jesus is going up Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is one of those places, you know, there's mountains where you've usually got a bunch of different locations on top of a mountain. It's not just one mountain peak, like a, like a kindergartner drawing of like a triangle and like that's the mountain. But a mountain is usually in this, it's this area that's got, you know, a couple of, a couple of peaks and a couple of, of, uh, of uh, saddles and everything like that. And one of the places on this mountain is called Golgotha, the place of the skull. Now, what some scholars have come to the conclusion uh, of is that the place where Jesus was crucified is that exact place um, where Isaac was going to be sacrificed. Now, again, other scholarship will say that the altar, um, that the altar of Solomon's temple was placed at that exact point where Abraham stretched out his hands. So, at least we know that it's on the same mount. It's still Mount Moriah. It may, it may be over on, on, on that ridge of the mountain instead of this ridge of the mountain, but it's the same Mount Moriah that the only son, uh, the son of the father, the son of promise, the son of a miraculous birth is going to be sacrificed. So here we see this, this son of promise carrying the wood of his sacrifice up the mountain to the place of sacrifice. In the case of Isaac, he's carrying a bundle of wood, but in the case of Jesus, he's carrying his cross. Isaac is bound to the wood and he's about to be pierced by the knife of sacrifice. Jesus is nailed to the cross. He's about to be crucified and pierced, pierced by, the, uh, by the nails and the, and the spear. So ultimately what happens is that God spares Isaac. God spares Abraham from having to kill his own son, even though it would have been right. And instead, God takes the place. So at the moment, the ram caught in the, thick the thicket of thorns, maybe, you know, maybe he's got a crown of thorns motif going on. This, this ram caught in the thicket of thorns is the replacement for the sacrifice of Isaac. But ultimately, ultimately, the replacement for Isaac is Jesus. Isaac doesn't get sacrificed. And in fact, Isaac doesn't die for his sins. Neither does Abraham die for his sins. Neither do you die for your sins or anybody else die for their sins because Jesus died for your sins for you. Now, if you reject Jesus's life-saving, life-giving work of death and resurrection, by all means, you are free to die for your sins. But nobody has to die for their sins anymore 
because the sacrifice, the sacrifice is Christ, the propitiation, the penal substitutionary atonement. This is Christ who took not only Isaac's place there on that mountain to be sacrificed, but took your place in death. And not only did Christ die in your place, but he returned from the grave, he resurrected and guaranteed eternal life for you as well, bodily and spiritual resurrection as well. I mean, that's, that's a lot of fun to think about. I mean, it's a dark story thinking about, you know, Abraham potentially sacrificing his own son. But it's a happy story because you realize that God prevents the death of this sinner who deserved to die and in the place substituted his own son. So God felt the pain that Abraham did not have to endure. It's a great story. And it ultimately leads to the point that Christ died for you. Christ is, is, is the lamb, the lamb of your salvation who died in your place. Now, what you do with that information is up to you and there will be consequences. But at least now you know you were saved by the same lamb that saved Isaac. I hope you have fun. <laughs> you take care.